Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Turn in your Bible, if you would, to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 29. This is a familiar verse to us. Proverbs chapter 29. This is so, so important. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keeps the law or keeps the word happy is he. There is a version of the Spanish Bible that says, where there is no vision, the people are like wild, untamed horses. The New King James says that where there is no progressive vision, the people cast off restraint. I've asked them to put up the Amplified Version. Look look at what it says in the Amplified. Where there is no vision or no redemptive revelation of God. We'll come back to that. The people perish. But he who keeps the law of God, and that includes that of man, blessed, happy, fortunate, and enviable is he. What I want to focus on today, and the title of my message is The Power of Redemptive Revelation. Or we could say it this way, How to Perish-Proof Your Life. Vision is universal, meaning it's a universal law. Now watch this, it's extremely important. He's not talking about eyesight. Because we all know, perhaps, people, family members, associates, friends, distant relatives, co-workers that have lost their eyesight. They didn't die. They didn't perish. So it's not talking about eyesight. Eyesight is a function of the body. Vision is a function of the spirit. It's important to get that. Vision is a function of the spirit. Jesus said it this way. If you would have eyes to see and ears to hear. Well, he already knows we have eyes. He already knows we have ears. He he helped create them. Right? He must not be talking about natural eyes and natural ears. He's talking about seeing spiritually, hearing spiritually. Here's an example of this. How many of you have children, regardless of their ages, Remember when they're younger, some of you are still experiencing that. When they're young, you call out to them. And you thought you thought they could hear you. But after the fifth time, you realize they're not listening. Now, I know none of you would relate to that as parents. But you know... You know they have ears. You know they can hear physically. But they did not hear you. Why? Because their ears weren't tuned into your voice at that moment. You know, you know that they heard you. You know that they had the ability to hear you, to listen to hear your voice. 
but they did not tune you in. They tuned you out. Christians do the same thing to God. Christians do exactly the same thing to God. You can turn it down just a little bit because I like to shout from time to time. So when Christians, when Christians tune God out, that's why Jesus said that in Matthew 11. He said, if any man would have ears to hear and eyes to see, we would spiritually discern things that he wants us and needs for us to see. We need to see those things. We, we need to know what he has to say to us. We need to understand. We need to understand what God is trying to communicate to us. So watch this. This word redemptive is not a word we use in our modern day, our modern day vernacular. Redemptive. What would you think that the root word of redemptive is? Redeem. All right? Let's look at this word. You didn't know you were coming to class this morning, did you? Look at this word. Let's break it down. Two syllables comes from two words, a prefix re, and then the word deem. We don't use the word deem hardly at all. We sometimes use the word redeem. The Bible talks about redeeming the time for the days are evil. But the prefix re means again, essentially, again. So that's why we say we react. That means act again, relive. We live that again. But the, what does the word redeem mean? Well, clearly this word means, the prefix means again, but what does deem mean? It means something of worth or value. Something examined as valuable. Anybody remember S&H green stamps? Gold bond stamps. That was not gold bond powder like it is today. It's gold bond stamps. Well, what happened with green stamps was when you would go shop at a certain supermarket or store of some kind, even, even, even a um, service station where you purchase your, your fuel, they would reward you with a certain amount of stamps based upon your purchase. Sometimes they might even have double stamp days. Anybody remember that? Well, stores still do that today. It's just not stamps. It's points, right? There's points at Home Depot, points at Lowe's. Uh, Walmart doesn't give you points, but all these other grocery stores, they give you points that add up toward things that are valuable that you might want to redeem your points for, right? Airlines do it. Hotels do it. Everybody still does it. Thank God it's not green stamps. I don't know if you ever took the time as a grandson or a granddaughter to help your grandparents fill the green stamp book, but you had to lick the back of those stamps. That was the worst glue that ever existed. I can taste it right now. And that was 50, 60 years ago, man. It was terrible. So my brother and I, we devised this. It's just my brother and I, you know, in our, our family. We devised this idea, hey, let's get an old dirty rag and wet it 
and let's get that glue on the dirty rag. It's already dirty. We're not going to lose the rag. It's, you know, the, the rag's already toast. So we'll just use this rag and wet it, and then we'll just wipe it across and then put it in. Worked like a charm. No more glue on your tongue except the memory of it. God valued us enough to give us points even when we did not deserve it. The Bible says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even when we were sinners, Jesus died for us. He paid a price. Why? Because God valued you again. God has always valued his creation. He's valued his creation over time, but man continued to reject God. Man continued to push God off to the side and forget about God and worship other gods and other idols. But God kept valuing us and revaluing us over and over again. That's what that's why God sent Abraham to Sodom and Gomorrah to get Lot and his family out of Sodom and Gomorrah because he valued them. Remember, Abraham was trying to talk God, God, if there's 100 righteous, if there's, you know, 10 righteous, et cetera, right? God valued enough just for Abraham and his family. And Abraham, they'd already sold out many times. They'd already compromised many times. That's why his wife turned back and looked. Because she compromised. She still, her heart was still in Sodom and Gomorrah. Come on, somebody. Abraham was even going to offer his daughters. Come on, somebody. We know the story. If you don't, you ought to read it this afternoon in Genesis. Abraham was, I mean, excuse me, Lot was going to offer his daughters up to the world to sedition and homosexuality and sexual perversion. People are doing that today. They're offering their daughters to the world. Come on, somebody. I was just in the home of a pastor friend of mine who lives in a really nice neighborhood and outside of Los Angeles and right, right across the street from his home, we're actually kind of down just a little bit, one lot across the street, is this large... Um, Neighborhood park, basketball courts, tennis courts, um, outdoor half-size Olympic pool, kiddie pool, hot tub, workout center, meeting rooms, those kinds of things. And he said, he said, Brittany Spears used to live in this neighborhood, and she used to sit out there early in the morning with her kids while they'd play, and she'd smoke her cigarette. Britney Spears grew up singing in the church, singing songs to Jesus. So did Jessica Simpson. So did Whitney Houston. We could go right down the line. So did Elvis Presley. We could just go right down the line. But what happened? Either their families, their parents, their dads, or a relative pimped them to the world. And they stopped singing for Jesus and they were used up by the world, and then now they're all cast aside. That's what happens. 
they get cast aside. In other words, they lost their value to the world. Young people, you ought to learn from that. You ought to learn from that. Miley Cyrus, they start, they start singing in the church. And they get discovered because they have a talent of some kind. And then the world uses them. But the world, the world can't use them unless their families pimp them out. And when I say pimp, I mean pimp. That's exactly what it is. You're, you're offering your daughter to the world. And that's what Lot and his wife were doing. They were offering their daughters. But God saw value in them, and he sent Abraham after them to pull them out. God saw value. When the whole world was evil, God saw value in Noah and his family. And he built an ark. But he offered that salvation to everyone. And Noah preached over 120 years. That's a pretty good eviction notice. That's fair, very fair. Preached deliverance and salvation for 120 years, but they still rejected him until it started raining, until the water started flowing. Not only was it raining from above and flooding, but it says the waters of the deep or the groundwater opened up and it rose very quickly. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where groundwater or something is, is back flushing, but it, it's a very dangerous thing. Not only is it raining from above, it's coming from my, my dad and my stepmom were trapped on a Houston freeway one day when water was coming down the bayou from a rain up, up north and coming down. It wasn't even raining on Interstate 10 where they were. But the water was backfilling from the bayou into the gullies and the and the, and the the water trenches and the canals and sprouting water spouts off the drains that are supposed to be draining water off the freeway, but it was backfilling from the flood coming up and grates, big 100-pound grates were flying up into the sky and they were stopped in traffic because there was already water from an earlier rain. They were stopped in traffic and now my dad started seeing this and he told my, uh, their, their son-in-law, my stepsister's husband, who was in the back seat of the Suburban, you get mom out up the embankment and he had to carry her on his shoulders, and I'll, I'll come out. He barely got out. This was, this was 20, 20 plus years ago. You may have seen it on the news where helicopters were evacuating handicapped children out of a bus from the sky. They were coming down and picking them up off the top exit, exit uh, escape out of the bus. And it wasn't even raining. But the waters from beneath opened up and flooded just like that. That's what happened with the flood. It wasn't just, you know, just a few days of rain, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you've experienced that here in South Georgia, you know. I was in Houston one time. It, it, it rained 30, 32 days in a row. It rained, a measurable rain, 32 days in a row. It was a mess. It was just a soggy mess. But it didn't flood everything. 
But God valued man enough to build him an ark. Come on, somebody. God valued us enough to send his son Jesus to pay the price for our sins. While we were yet sinners, what did he do? He deemed us valuable. He loved us enough. That's what redemption means. That's what redeem means. Now look at this word. Look at this next word. Still the same prefix, redemptive revelation. This is also a rarely used word, redemptive revelation. What do you think the root word of revelation is? Reveal. So here we are again, same prefix, revelation, reveal. Again, and that doesn't mean, uh, doesn't mean calf meat. I'm from West Texas, a ranching family. It doesn't mean calf meat. Veal means to see. That's why the word revelation means a picture of the future. The word reveal means to see something, to see something. It's been revealed. In other words, if we were to have stage curtains here, like like big professional stages, you know, they open up the stage curtains to do what? To reveal what's behind it. So we can see it again. We can see again perhaps something we've never seen or perhaps something we have seen before. We're going to see again. We're going to see something again. In other words, it's going to be seen again. So the, the, the phrase where there is no vision or no redemptive revelation means picture of the future revealed in our lives. But let me, let me give you the Bible definition of redemptive revelation, the act of saving someone from error. Say saving someone from error. Or the act of delivering, getting back, or buying back from evil. Wow. So the act of delivering, saving someone, buying back, getting them back from evil getting them back from error. And that's what it requires for you and I. If we're going to be redeemed, we're going to have this redemptive revelation in our lives. That means that we must see what God wants us to see and know what we must see and know regarding our salvation. If we don't see that, if we don't have a clear picture, revelation of our redemption, we're going to perish. Why? Because we're not going to steer our lives toward what we see. And you know that your words are forever tied to your sight or to your vision? Let me prove it to you. You don't have to hold on to your wallet or anything, but close your eyes. Bugs Bunny, all right, open your eyes. Did anybody see Mickey Mouse? You didn't see Mickey Mouse? What did you see? You saw a tall, skinny wabbit, a silly wabbit. Maybe you saw a carrot. You saw these big ears. You saw this dorky-looking expression he always had. You saw Bugs Bunny. 
You may have even seen Elmer Fudd in the background. What did that just prove? We could, we could use it. Anyway. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Pink elephant. All right, open your eyes. Did anybody see a rhinoceros? What did you see? A pink elephant. Some of you, you're a little slower. You haven't seen anything yet. Don't look around. But our words are tied to our vision, not our eyesight, our vision, what we see, what we see. This is critical. It's necessary that we understand it. If we don't, we will perish. You see, vision is a living spiritual organism. In its inception, vision is pure. It's holy. It's the devil that perverts vision. The devil is not a creator. God's a creator. The devil is a perverter. He perverts what's already been created by God. So it's necessary that we must see, we must know what God wants us to see. What did Paul say in Ephesians chapter 1 that we should pray for people? That they would have the spirit of what? Wisdom and what? Revelation. Seeing, revelation. Knowing, wisdom. We must have that spirit in these last days because if you can't see where you're going, you're going to perish. Don't care how cool you, you think you are. I mean, Whitney Houston was pretty stinking cool. Amazingly creative. Amazingly gifted. She perished. So did her daughter, her teenage daughter. Why? Because they could not see anything of the future. They're only living in the moment. And folks, it's that way all the time. I was on the Ventura Freeway just this week. and We were stopped in traffic for over an hour just sitting there. This is the freeway that the Kardashians travel. And, you know, you know, all those kind of people travel. And Justin Timberlake and Cedric the Entertainer, all these different people live in those hills. And they're back and forth. And we're stopped in traffic. Why? Because somebody up ahead jumped off of an overpass to kill themselves. And just the fall killed them. But now they're going to do it and, and ruin somebody else's life by being hit by a, traf- by a vehicle or a truck or whatever. This is a beautiful place. It it's, it's, was once called paradise. We, we play, I play golf with this pastor, and, and on, the, on the 11th hole, you, you're lined up to these stables and these stalls, and that's where Mr. Ed was filmed. A lot of cowboy movies and movies like Giant with uh, um, Elizabeth Taylor and Rock Hudson were filmed there as well as Marfa, Texas, not far from where I live. But but the the, the smaller scenes were filmed there. And, and all these people, that they had all this so-called worth and all this value, but they lose it. Suicides are at an epidemic rate. Not only and with those famous people, but with people that are not known in public. Why? No vision. 
they can't see where they're going. Come on, somebody. Oh, they can see with their natural eyes, but they can't see with their spiritual eyes. And what happens is the devil lays traps for every one of us. This is the plan. The devil has a trap for every one of us, every human. The devil has a trap for. And if you can't see spiritually, you're going to fall right into the trap. Doesn't matter who you are. Nobody is cool enough. Nobody is too cool for school. Nobody is smart enough. Nobody's rich enough. Nobody is pretty enough or handsome enough to overcome the devil. Smarter people, wealthier people than you or me, they didn't make it doing it their own way. Who do we think we are? We have to know who we are in Christ. That's what redemptive revelation means. I have to know my place and what he's made me to be. I wasn't raised in a godly home. I wasn't raised in a godly environment. My dad is a professional rodeo cowboy and a rodeo champion and in the rodeo hall of fames and all over the nation, including the National Cowboy Hall of Fame. My parents were married at Times Square Chapel and they were on the Johnny Carson show the first week they were married. My dad was rodeoing at Madison Square Garden. It's a six-week-long rodeo, and he was winning the day money. My mom still has the check stubs, $1,100, $1,200, $900 a day in 1949. Imagine what that is today. They complained that when they took out their friends for drinks and dinner, because that's what you do when you're a pro athlete, when you win the money and you win the the NASCAR race, or you get the new contract, you take out your, your buddies for drinks and dinner and their, and their wives or their girlfriends. And they complained that they took out 15 of their friends and it cost them $100 for drinks and dinner. Not each, total. So just imagine winning $1,200 in one day and you took out your friends and it only costs you one bill, one Benjamin. That's pretty good dough, 1949. That wouldn't be bad money today, would it? They were on the Johnny Carson show. My mom still has the script, the questions they were going to be asked, and then the answers they were to answer. Oh, you mean that's not reality TV? You mean it's all scripted? If you believe in reality TV, you probably also believe pro wrestling is real. <laughs> I played college football with Ted DiBiase, the million-dollar man, before he was the million-dollar man. I, I, and he, he came from a wrestling family. I know all those moves and know how they all do it, but it's scripted. Sure, there's some ad lib in there involved. Couldn't they get, they get mad or whatever? But it's scripted. I've flown on airplanes with all of them. They're all buddies on the airplane. They're all buddies in the hotel. They're not buddies on screen because you always got to have a villain, you know. But listen to me. More talented people than us, they didn't make it doing it their own way. And you think you're going to make it? Young people, you really think you broke the mold and you're, and you're going to make it? When all your fleshly, flaky, funky friends don't? 
It don't work that way. You gotta, you gotta be able to see with the eye of faith. You gotta be able to know who you are in Christ. You've, you've gotta be able to see what you need to see. My parents, there they are. My, my mom was a homecoming queen and head cheerleader and most beautiful in her high school, a, a, a class of over a thousand in a large school in Fort Worth. And, and I mean, she, she was smart. She was super intelligent, made good grades. She tested out very high and would win these rodeos. He was, he was a champion. You don't make the Hall of Fame if you're not a champion. My dad was tough. He was a mar- my dad's in these rodeo halls of fame, but he's not in the husband hall of fame. He's not in the father hall of fame. My parents separated when I was four because my dad would go on these rodeo trips and not send money home. He's winning, but he's gambling away in the back of the bucking chutes or in the hotel lobby. When I was three and a half years old, he took me on a trip. My brother was in school. It was the winter. It was the Denver Rodeo, which is always in early February. He put me in a hotel room for three and a half days while he not only rodeoed, but he gambled down in the lobby and he'd just send up room service. I was only three and a half. Today, he'd be arrested. I scream myself to sleep every night. The cowboys next door knock on the adjoining door and they'd have me come and sleep with them because they're not going to get any sleep. My mom became addicted to pills, alcohol. The doctor told her if you'll drink two beers every night, that'll soothe your nerves. Didn't stop there. Pretty soon, six beers wasn't enough, so she'd go to the doctor and they'd give her pills. My mom's 86 years old, and just eight years ago, my brother got her off of pill. My brother and I got her off of pills and alcohol finally. I'd like to say it was because of the power of God. She was delivered numerous times by the power of God. Pastor Mark will understand and know what's engaged and involved in these cities in Texas. Terrell, Big Spring, Vernon, Waco. These are all cities with state hospitals and mental institutions. I had to visit my mom in all of those places. Not because she was mentally crazy, but because she would be so desperate, she'd try to commit suicide time and again. And she'd be rushed to one of those state mental institutions. And their only solution back then was to give them electric shock treatments. That's not a good place for a child to go visit their mom. You see, my parents never took me to church. My parents never read a Bible to me. My parents never, they, they never prayed with me, except my mom from time to time would pray with my, my brother. I told the men this yesterday. Now I lay me down to sleep. Think about this prayer. How many know what I'm going to say next? I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, That's the last thing a child needs to hear before they go to sleep. 
And we're praying that. It's not in the Bible. But we're praying that with our children, thinking that's going to soothe them. It's going to be a good prayer for them. They're going to have sweet dreams. What you just said is not going to give them sweet dreams. It's going to give them nightmares like me. I was filled overwhelmed with fear, so much so that my brother would wake me up in the middle of a nightmare six blocks down the street. He would think, I just got up to go to the restroom and then I wouldn't come back into our bedroom, our bunk beds or whatever. And he would go in there and I wasn't in the restroom, the front door's open, the back door's open, and I'd run out in the street in the middle of a nightmare. My brother would have to wake me up. That happened numerous times because I was so gripped with the spirit of fear. Why? Because that, that, that lifestyle, that ungodly lifestyle builds fear into the lives of your kids. Come on, somebody. Once we did get a car when my parents were separated when I was just four years old. My brother was, my brother was eight. Many times my mom would pass out behind the wheel. 1954 Chevrolet, she named it Miss America. It was anything but Miss America. It was Miss Ugly is what it was. The steering wheel was like this big. You know, it was one of those cars where the dash was half an acre. All made out of metal. No vinyl, no leather, no, none of that. No plastics. It's all metal. And she'd pass out behind the wheel. My brother, no seat belts. My brother would have to get over behind the wheel, and we'd have to pull her from behind the wheel into the right floorboard. I'd have to jump over the seat, put my knees in my brother's back so he could reach the pedals and see over the, over the steering wheel and the dash to pull it out of oncoming traffic. No freeways back then. No divided highways back then. You see, I wasn't raised in a godly home. I was, I was perishing. I was perishing. Oh, and there, there were kids who had it way worse than me. But I was perishing. And the same thing happens to you. The same thing happens to rich people. The same ha thing happens to middle-income people. It doesn't matter what demographic you come from. doesn't matter what race you are. doesn't matter where you came from, what school, what side of the tracks you grew up on. The devil is still the devil. And he'll eat your lunch and pop your sack. You've got to know who you are in Christ. You've got to have a picture of what God has for you, or you'll start choosing all the wrong things. And see, that's what the church has allowed. We, we've lost our voice in our, in our cities, in our community, in our nation. We've, we've stopped having preachers tell the truth. We want to cater to everybody's needs. We want to be relevant. Since when did the Holy Spirit become irrelevant? We need the Holy Spirit's voice in our life more than ever before. We need the word like never before. I played at the high school where they wrote the book and the movie. Now it's a TV series called Friday Night Lights. My home stadium holds 28,000, excuse me, 23,000 people. But I played before 58,000 in playoff games in high school. My state championship game was on live statewide television. In 1972, yes, young people, there were TVs in 72. Color TVs. 
Our school made so much money from the playoff games that they would charter Southwest Airlines jets to fly us to those games in Dallas or College Station or Houston or uh, Austin because Texas is a big state, and you get on a bus. I don't care if, if it's if it's a if, even if it's your charter bus, man. You're not ready to play football when you get out of a bus after traveling 11, 12 hours. Many of my friends on those teams are either in hell or in heaven today because they didn't ever see what they needed to see spiritually. I'm talking about all Americans. One guy is still the leading tackler at University of Oklahoma. He was two-time All-American. I'm friends with his position coach on Facebook, but I met him years ago. I played against him for years in, in college, and we have a lot of relationships. This coach, well-known coach, not only in the state of Texas, not only in the universities, but he was a longtime coach for the Houston Oilers and Tennessee Titans. He recruited and drafted my friend. That's still the leading tackler at University of Oklahoma. Now my wife said when I told her that, he's still playing? He's still tackling. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, that meant that while he was at OU, he tackled more. He was assigned more tackles. In other words, he tackled more offensive players than anybody in the history of the University of Oklahoma. He set that record. It's still not been broken. Brian Bosworth didn't break it. All these other guys did not break it. He still holds that record. That's how good he was. But the enemy laid traps for him. He lost his marriage. His daughter wouldn't talk to him. We both went to our 40th reunion. We'd never been to our reunion before. I'd never been. He'd never been. He walks in the night after the, the first gathering. I'm sitting over in a corner in the student council lodge and stuff that, that they had for us. And I'm sitting over a corner and have my legs propped up on a leather ottoman and a leather chair, and he sits down on the ottoman. He comes in the room and comes over, sits down on the ottoman. He said, how's it going, George? I heard you're a preacher. What, what's that about? I got to talk to him about the Lord. Three weeks later, he dropped dead. All the way there, three-hour drive, on that Friday morning, I'm asking the Lord, Lord, why am I going to this I don't want to go to reunion. You know, they've sent me the paperwork every every five years. You know, we're going to have an open bar. We're going to have a kegger. And I'm, every time I read it, then some people never grow up. I know what it's going to be. I, I don't. That, that's not who I am. He said, you go to this one. I didn't know why I went even when I drove home on Saturday afternoon. I didn't know why I went. Three weeks later, I knew why I went. Because Daryl lost his life. But Daryl's now in heaven because he's committed to Christ that night in that, that, that suite. Come on, somebody. 
God has a redemptive revelation plan for our lives. Turn over to Matthew, if you would. I could tell you story after story about how my brother and I grew up without God, without leadership in our lives, but God had a plan for us. In Matthew chapter 16, we'll just look at verse 15. Jesus is asking, who do men say that I am? Some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said, but who do you say I am? And Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. That's verse 16. Now, why is this so important? We read that in the King James, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. We don't really understand the, the fullness. You see, Peter was a Jew. All these disciples are Jews. They've heard their entire lives that a deliverer is coming. A Savior is coming. The Messiah is coming. And when he came, they didn't accept him as that. The religious people didn't accept him as that, right? They still don't. The Jews still don't accept Jesus as the Savior. Peter was the very first one, very first one that said, You're him. You're the one we've learned about our whole lives. You're the ones that we have we have the feast for. You're the ones that we're, we, you, we've been looking to you all of our lives and for centuries. You're him. If he would have said that in public or if he would have said that in the synagogue, they would have taken him out and had gotten him stoned. Not like you and I used to get stoned. It's not a party. It's a murder. He would have been murdered. That's how big, that's how huge this is for him to say, you're the Christ. You're him. Notice Jesus' response in verse 16. He said, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. And the Amplified says, blessed, happy, fortunate, to be envied. Are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood, or men have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven? What did Jesus just say? Man did not give you that revelation. Men did not teach you that I'm the Christ, but my Father revealed in your spirit who I am. In other words, he saw with the eye of faith beyond his natural eyes, you're him. It bore witness in his spirit. You're the guy we've always talked about. You understand how big a deal this is. Now, we Americans, we, we don't get it. We don't get it. We didn't grow up with this. Every Jew, every Hebrew grew up hearing about Messiah in their education, their daily prayers, everything, everything was about he's coming. But yet when he came, they rejected him. But Peter was the first to say, you're him. You're my savior. That's what he was saying. You're my savior. You're my deliverer. That's a big deal. Notice the next verse. And I tell you, you are Peter in Greek. Peter means Petros, 
a large piece of rock. And upon this rock, in the Greek, Petra, which means a huge rock like Gibraltar. Now, they didn't know about Gibraltar then necessarily. The you know, mariners would have known. But it says, I will build my church upon this rock. I will build my church in the gates of Hades or the powers of the infernal region shall not overpower it for to be, strong, to be strong, it's, I'm sorry, I missed that part. For to be strong, I'll look up here. You shall not overpower it or be strong to its detriment or hold out against it. In other words, the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. What was he saying? Was he saying, Peter, you're the rock I'm going to build my church on? No. He was saying, Peter, you're just a piece of the rock. But upon this rock, what? The revelation, the revelation of God's word is what I'm going to build my church on. The revelation and the wisdom of God's counsel. In other words, the redemptive revelation is what I'm building my house on. And the gates of hell will never prevail against that revelation. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. If you don't have the word in your life, that means you don't have Jesus in your life because they are one and the same. If you don't respect the word, you don't respect and honor Jesus. Come on, somebody. My preaching is way better than your South Georgia shouting. Come on, somebody. Oh, we got to get excited about the Bulldogs. we got to get excited about, about the, the Seminoles. we got to get excited about that. But if you can't get excited about the word of God, your wood's wet. It's necessary that we see this, that we understand it, or we will perish. All of my life, I'm 63, all of my life, I see people that call themselves Christians, including family members, but yet they perish prematurely. Why? Because their passion is not God. Their passion is not the Word. And let me tell you something. You can be rodeo cowboy. You can be U.S. Marine. You can be tough football player. You can be Division I All-American like I played with, NFL Hall of Famers like I played with. And you can still die like a total loser and have nobody honor you and go straight to hell. And lose your life. Or you can, be, you can be saved, but you'll die without any authority, without any victory, and you'll perish prematurely. I'm not going to make it on that list. I'm going to stay fired up for Jesus. I'm going to keep my passion and my fire. You see, I, I, I've been in the mountaintop in a lot of things, in, in sports and in, in business and I own my own company and made tons of, uh, uh, tons of money building houses. I built over 175 houses in Houston, Texas and, and all kinds of commercial buildings and property and offices and those kinds of things. I built a lot of churches. The church I pastor now, I built all these buildings. That's what I came there to do originally. I can do all those things. I, I, I coached state and national champions in sports. 
I've seen incredible things. My, my son was, was All-American in, in, in basketball and in all tournament, in a, in a national tournament. I, I get all that. I'm not talking about being a sissy. I'm not talking about being a whip. I'm talking about having my priorities straight and being on fire for God. That's what I'm talking about. That's what redemptive revelation brings me. And Jesus goes on and says, you are blessed because you've said this and you understand this. Therefore, the the power of hell, the powers of the infernal region. You understand the powers of the infernal region don't stay in the center of the earth. The demons bring it to the surface. And they're in the atmosphere. They're in the heavenlies. They're, They're in constant warfare against your angel. Come on, somebody. And if you're not walking spiritually, if you're not speaking the language of faith, your angel's got nothing to work with because it's, it's the word of God that your angels use as a source of authority and power against the demon spirits. That's Psalm 102, verse 6. It says, our angels who are mighty in strength, they're not cupids. They're not babies with a harp. Come on. They're not babies with an arrow. They're mighty in strength. Pastor Mark and I, we have common relationship with Pastor Bob Nichols in Fort Worth, Texas. A number of years ago, Pastor Bob was telling this story to us. I've known Pastor Bob since I was a boy. Even though I didn't go to his church, I just knew about him. He was a family friend. My brother and I got spirit-filled at his father-in-law's church, 1969. Pastor Bob was telling the story about a, a widow in his church. Her husband didn't leave her enough resources. She had to go to work. And because she was responsible, she became a manager of a women's clothing store in a strip mall just off of 35 Freeway, South Fort Worth, they call it the South Freeway. Because she was a manager, she was closing that night. And she came out, parking lot lights were already off. It's about 9.30 at night, 9.45. She's walking out to her car, you know, employee parking is, you know, out at the edge of the lot. It's not up front by the doors. She gets her keys out of her purse before remotes, and she didn't, she couldn't afford a car with remotes, and anyway, and she hears this car coming behind her, but she's seen no headlights, and she turned around, and because of the, there's some store lights still on, she sees these two guys coming behind her, and the silhouettes of their heads from the back lid of the stores with their headlights off. She's the only one parked out there, so she tries to scurry to her car, and she drops her keys, and they hop out of the car before she can get in the car. And they hold up her distributor cap, meaning they've already, they've already pulled the power cords. Even if she could start, even if she could get her keys in the car, it's not going to start. Woman, we know where you live. We know you don't have a husband. We're going to take you to your house. We're going to rape you. We're going to steal everything you got. We're going to beat you and kill you. Here she is, a widow. There's nobody around. She's looking around. And all of a sudden, down on the inside of her, she rises up because she's been taught the word. 
And this is what she says. Feathers! They look at each other. This woman's crazy. Feathers! That's all that she could conjure up, feathers. What was she relying on? Psalm 91. Under his feathers, you'll be protected. He that abides in the secret place of the Most High. Come on. Abides, not visits. Abides in the shadow of the Almighty. Under his wings shalt thou trust. All she could get out is feathers. She said it five or six times. They're laughing and they, woman, you're crazy. We're going we're gonna to kill you right here. And they pulled out a gun. As soon as they pulled out that gun, they started looking above her and beyond, behind her. What is that? I don't know. I don't know. It's so big. I don't know. What is that? And they ran off. And they, the way she told Pastor Bob, they were, you've seen those Three Stooges shows where they're just zigzagging through the parking lot, just figurating through the parking lot. I'll tell you what they did not see. They did not see a little baby with a diaper strumming a harp. They saw a mighty being of warfare, her angel. He, give your, he gives his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. Think about that. So what did she do? No cell phones back then. She gets in. She forgot they held up her distributor cap. She got in, and she turned on the ignition of her car, and it started, and she drove home. You can't start a car without a distributor cap. She called the police from there, and they came back, and they were, they were just watching and waiting for those guys because they left their car running in the parking lot, and they knew that they would eventually come back Criminals usually always come back to the scene of their crime, and criminals are not smart. And they arrested them, and sure enough, they had a rap sheet super long. Let me show you one more scripture. Turn over to Matthew chapter 16. Excuse me, John chapter 16. John chapter 16. And I'm going to try to land this plane. John chapter 16. You and I have to make up our minds. Are we going to make Jesus Lord or are we just going to keep him Savior? He chose to be Savior. We choose him to be Lord. He doesn't get to choose to be Lord. That would be a dictator, a tyrant. We make him Lord of our lives. Is he your Lord today? Is he the Lord of your thoughts? Is he the Lord of your emotions? Is he the Lord of your entertainment? Is he the Lord of your music? Is he the Lord of your movies? Come on. Folks, Jesus is coming after a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, blemish or any such thing. He's coming after a powerful church. And if you're dirty, you can't have power. Did you hear me? Power comes from purity. 
Dirty gold's not worth much. Pure gold's worth $1,500 an ounce right now. Come on, somebody. Dirty gold's not worth much. They call it fool's gold. It's not worth much. Why? There's no power. We need the refiner's fire in our lives in the last days. This is what Jesus said, verse 13. He said, but when he, the spirit of truth, has come, the truth-giving spirit, he will guide you into all truth, the whole full truth. He will not speak his own message on his own authority, but he will tell whatever he hears from the Father. He will give the message that has been given to him, and he will announce and declare to you the things that are to come or that will happen in the future. What is he saying? When the Holy Spirit comes, remember this is Jesus talking before he ascended to heaven. He told the disciples, I have to go away so the Comforter can come or so the Holy Spirit can come. So when Jesus is talking about what the Holy Spirit is going to do, he's going to be the mouthpiece of God. He's not coming under his own authority. He's coming under God's authority. Now let me, let me prove to you, let me prove to you how amazing this is. It says, he will what? He will show you what, what, what will happen. He'll declare, announce, and show you things that are to come or that will happen in the future. In other words, he's going to reveal them just like he did to Peter. He's going to reveal to you things to come. Let me show you how this is already operational in your life and you're not even trying. All of us, have thought about somebody, we've been concerned about somebody, or we were just wondering, what's happening with so-and-so? What's going on with so-and-so? And the phone rang, and it was that somebody. Lift your hand if that's happened to you. Lift your hand. Keep it up. Look around. Look around. All right? Flip that over. You, you call somebody, and they said, we were just thinking about you. We were just talking about you. Lift your hand up if you've had that happen. Look around. Look at all these hands. All right? You as licensed drivers, we can list thousands of illustrations, but you as licensed drivers, you've been minding your own business, going down St. Augustine, going down Norman, going down uh, Bay, whatever. What is it? Bay, what? Bay Tree. Thank you. Maybe you're going up 75, and, and you, you just know that you're supposed to back off, or you're supposed to change lanes, or you're supposed to exit, or whatever. And sure enough, if you didn't do it, there would have been a crash. There would have been something happen. Or maybe you're stopped at a, at a traffic signal, and, and it turns green, but there's something on the inside of you. Just look again, and sure enough, somebody ran that red light, and they, they would have T-boned you, or there would have been an accident if it was going to happen if you would have gone on through, or that four-way stop where nobody even knows anymore what right-of-way means. Goodness gracious. Whose turn it is. Duh. It's who get there first. Where'd you get your license? At Kmart, and they went out of business. Come on. But you hesitated extra amount, and sure enough, if you didn't, somebody jumped the gun, and you would have been injured. Come on. You weren't even trying to be spiritual when those things happened. And again, we could list thousands of illustrations. 
You weren't even trying. How does that happen? You're created in the image of God. You're created in his spirit after his likeness. You are God class. He made you to be like him. He made you to not only to have fellowship with you, but to communicate with you. And he knows all things. He's the only true know-it-all. Don't look around. Ain't nobody else know-it-all. He's the only one that knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning. He knew that was going to happen long before the earth was ever created, before there was ever an automobile. He knew that that was going to take place, and he informed you in your spirit. I used to hear a man of God who I highly respected, but when I was a teenager, I didn't know much about this. And I used to hear him talking about, he, you, you got to train your spirit. You can train your spirit to wake you up in the morning. You don't need an alarm clock. And I'm going, who is this person? And now, just like this morning, I set an alarm because I travel. I, I, I've been in, uh, by the end of this month, I'll be in all four time zones. So, my, I mean, sometimes my mind, my body doesn't know which time zone I'm in. So I, I set an alarm. But you know what? The Spirit of God knows which, knows which time zone I'm in. And I always wake up three to five minutes before my alarm goes off because I've trained my spirit. I trained my spirit years ago when we were living in, in Tulsa, Jerusalem. And we were living there and. Our utility room was right next to our master bedroom, and I'd come in from a trip and uh, pick up my kids from school if I had if I got in early enough, or my wife would pick me up. We'd go to dinner as a family, and and uh, then put everybody to bed, and then I would wash my clothes and do my laundry, so I could get ready for the next trip. And we had a dryer. I'd set it on the sensor, you know, the not a timer but a sensor. It would go off at different times. It, you know, you couldn't set your watch by it. Go off at different times. And I'd be in the, back in the dining room and be getting all my receipts out and getting ordered for the next day. And I'd have this knowing the dryer's about to go off. And I'm thinking, look up the clock. No way. And it had a buzzer. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't unplug the buzzer. It's right next to our master bedroom. My wife is a light sleeper. John! Oh, I heard it. Sorry. And she'd stay up for too long after that trying to go back to sleep. Here's my point. I train my spirit to listen for the dryer, to know when the dryer is going to go off. And I'd go in there. I'd go in there thinking, surely not but it would almost be to off, and it was going to buzz. And I still, I still practice that, even though now we have a chime. Or you can turn it off, but I always know when my dryer's about to go on because I've trained my spirit. You know, God cares about even those things. Now listen to me. I'm winding this down. Listen to me carefully. If you and I are not going to take the time to train our spirit, He's not going to take the time to show you things to come. In other words, that's going to be null and void for your life. Let me show you how important this is. About eight years ago, I woke up one morning. My body still wasn't awake. My mind's not alert. 
But I'm created in the image of God. My spirit's created in the image of God. My spirit never went to sleep because he never sleeps nor slumbers. I hug my wife. I don't kiss her in the morning. I don't want to offend her. I hug my wife, went in. We don't have a conversation at that time. She knows I'm not alert. She's already been up. She's early to bed, early to rise. You know, because I have so many night meetings and travel late sometimes, I, I, I don't have to get up the same schedule she does, but I get up whenever I have to. Like when I flew here, I, I got up at 4.30 in the morning. I didn't get to my hotel room Friday night until 1.30. That's a long day. So that, you know, I, I slept in until I had to be here at noon yesterday. So that's the way my life is. That's the way it goes. So I went in and poured my, poured, poured my juice, got my vitamins and supplements in my hand that I set out the night before. I downed them, got a refill of juice, went into the bathroom, turned on the hot water, put a hot rag on my face to soften my beard, lathered up. I shave the right side of my face. This has been my habit. I do it first. And I hear these words. Remember, my spirit never went to sleep. I hear these words clear as a bell. Carter will make a play for Melinda within three weeks. And I'm thinking, Melinda's my daughter, but who's Carter? And the Lord knew I thought that. She'll know. That's what he said. She'll know. So I stuck my head out the door, got my wife's attention. She has a home office. I was able to look, look into the other room. I said, honey, the Lord just told me that within three weeks, Carter will make a play for Melinda. So tell her next time you talk to her. I went back. She's looking at me. You know what she said? Who's Carter? I said, the Lord said, Melinda will know. I went back in the bathroom, finished shaving, I'm washing off all the extra lather off my face and my neck. She knocks on the door. She said, Melinda just called. And I said, what did she say? When you told her, she said, oh, Dad. You know, even, even in their 30s, they say, oh, Dad. No way. We find out that Carter is the CEO of this multimillion-dollar company that she works for, and she's a vice president. Three weeks later, I get a phone call from Melinda. She's crying. She didn't say, oh, Dad. She said, oh, Dad. She said, we've been here at this staff resource convention. We're in this posh hotel, and the gallery section of Houston, you've seen, you guys have seen it before. It's really nice. And one of those posh hotels that doesn't even really have a sign, you know, on the street. You know, it's a real exclusive three to $500 a night place. Only about 50 rooms. And she said, we'd been busy all day with meetings and, and seminars. And we'd gone out to dinner as a staff and I said goodbye to everybody on my floor. And I'm walking down the end of the hall and I hear these footsteps behind me. Guess who it is? She said, Carter has a room downstairs, a suite. I get my key card out. I put it, I put it in the door, and he pushes me through the door. 
and he grabs me and embraces me and starts trying to kiss me all over and touch me. He said, I've wanted you since the day you came to our office, and I know I want you now, and I'm not going to take no for an answer. I know you want me. She pushed him off, and she punched him in the nose. She's a Texas girl. And she punched him so hard it bloodied his nose, and he, his eyes started raining, crying. He came at her again, and she said, if you come any closer, I'm not only going to scream, but I'm going to kick you so hard you'll never be able to have sex again with your wife. And you think you can legislate bullying out of the school? No, bullying only understands one thing. You punch him in the nose. We've raised a bunch of victims and a bunch of sissies. We just want to be nice. They've attacked her. Come on, somebody. You don't legislate that. You don't negotiate a rapist. I don't want to stay at your house if you just let somebody, an invader, a home invasion, just knock your door down and come in. What are you going to say? Well, let me show you where I hide all my good stuff. That's the mentality we've created. We've created a sissy, a wussy environment. Come on, somebody. Let's stand up and be courageous. That's even for Christians. Bullying has always been around. Are you kidding? I grew up in the projects. I didn't have any friends my age in the projects. They're all my brother's age. Are you kidding? I got hit with darts all over my body. I got punched every day, kicked every day. What did you learn to do? Fight back, and they stopped because they don't want blood coming out of their nose and tears coming in out of their eyes in front of their fleshly, flaky, funky friends. It stops it. That's what you do to the devil. You punch him in the nose with the word of God and your authority. But if you're a sissy Christian, well, I guess God just wants me to go through all this calamity. No, he doesn't. He's given you authority over the devil. Stand up to him in the name of Jesus. But if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if he's not your Lord, you don't have his authority. You're on your own. You better build a barricade and a safe room. Come on, somebody. Well, you're old school. Thank you. I don't like the new school. It's a sissy school. It's a negotiate with the devil school. And we've allowed this stuff, and now it's crept in in our schools. Our children's lives are being ransacked. 88%, I was telling this teacher about this today because he's, in, he's on the front lines. 88% of our full gospel spirit-filled kids lose, their, lose their, their, their testimony in their freshman year of college. Why? Because they're overwhelmed and they're intimidated. That's the spirit of fear. It's, the spirit of fear is the spirit of intimidation. Well, you ought to go to college, where, first of all, where God leads you to go, or maybe he doesn't even lead you to go to college. Some of the top CEOs of the Apple Microsoft, they didn't go to college. They didn't finish college. There's a new million-dollar idea every day. You don't have to go to school to get a million-dollar idea. I'm not against education. I'm educated. I've got a degree. So does my wife. But that's not a, pre a, a, a prerequisite for victory in this life. 
Following God's a prerequisite. That's more important. But we've outsourced our parenting to the teachers. We've outsourced our responsibility, spiritual responsibility, to our pastors and our children's ministers. Stop it! My greatest legacy is not all the tens of thousands of people I've won to Christ around 23 countries of the world and all over this nation, all over Canada, all over Mexico, all over Central and South America. That's not my greatest legacy. My two children and my wife are my greatest spiritual legacy. They're my priority. And I won't compromise that. Come on, somebody. Let's stand up for righteousness. We're the church of Jesus Christ. I said, honey, what did you do after he left your room? She said, I called my executive VP who hired me. She came down to my room, told me the whole, I told her the whole story. I said, good for you. And this is what she said. She said, I've been waiting for somebody to stand up to him. That means nobody's done it. That means he's been a predator all this time, and he's raped other women in their corporation and their company. She's the first one that stood up to him. First one, been waiting for somebody to stand up to him. Tomorrow, we're going to cancel our seminar before we leave town, and we're going to have a board meeting. They had a board meeting. They had a, our daughter come into the board meeting. She's not on the board, but she explained what had taken place. And what's good about her punching him in the nose, it gave him a black eye, and so he couldn't hide it the next morning. There's still blood in, in his snot. He couldn't hide it the next morning, and he was relieved of his CEO duties. Three months later, guess who became the CEO of the company? Melinda. She sold out five years ago, made enough money to retire. That's not in her. She's like us. We're not retiring. We refire. So ever since then, she's been a home designer. Now she's a home builder. She builds multi-million dollar homes to the glory of God. Let me tell you something, young people. A smartphone didn't tell me that Carter was going to make a play for Melinda in three weeks. This generation is drowning in information. But craving wisdom. And wisdom only comes from the word. And if you think technology can put you over the top, you got another thing coming. It didn't save Steve Jobs' life. Somebody, come on, somebody. Multi-billionaire didn't save his life. You're not going to be any different. I'm not going to be any different. I've got to sell out my life, not to my job, but to my Lord. And as I do, I win. My children win. My seven grandchildren win. They overcome. I was telling the men this yesterday, but two weeks from tomorrow, my number two grandson went in 
to the Marine Recruit Depot Station in San Diego. Two days later, I flew into San Diego. And I drove around the base, all the way around the base, and I prayed over him. I rolled down my windows, and I prayed. I spoke. I spoke over Ethan. Called out his name. Ethan will be victorious. He will find favor. He will stand up, and he will be righteous in the face of adversity. Lord, you give your angels charge over Ethan to keep him in all his ways, in every situation, every circumstance, and he will come out on top, and he will be a leader. He will not be just a follower, but he'll be a leader. He'll excel in everything he does. He got a call this week. Mom, mama got a call this week. She had to call back because it was, it was a number she didn't recognize. It wasn't his number. And so she called back, and she got the sergeant. And he says, hello. And she says, I'm sorry. I must have gotten the wrong number. Um, I thought this was, a, I wasn't sure who this call was going to come, uh, coming from. And he said, do you have a son that's a recruit? Well, yes, I do. What's his name? Oh, yeah, he did call this phone because he earned the privilege out of his whole platoon to make a phone call tonight because she was not expecting it. He earned the privilege because he's been following all the instruction. His times are, are excellent. His, 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 he's, all of his tests are excellent physically and mentally. All of his tests are excellent. So he earned a call. So I'll have him call you tomorrow at, uh, uh, you know, uh, 0100 or whatever. Or, or, excuse me, 1300 at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. So, so she got to call. He said, Mom, the first week was so hard. People gave up. People gave in. And it was hard for me. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. This guy's been all state in all kinds of sports. This is the hardest thing I've ever done. He's a cross country state champion, all this kind of stuff, all district football, all these kinds of things. He's a marksman, all this kind of stuff before he was 17. And now he's just 18. But he's excelling. He said, this is so hard. But I was able to complete this. I was able to score high, et cetera, et cetera. And that's why I got this phone, was able to get this phone call. He said, but more importantly, I know that God is with me. And this is what his mama told him. Papa John has driven around your base and prayed over you all this week. He came up to the main gate and prayed over you. He said, I know. I felt it. Those are our greatest legacy. It's not our deposits in the bank. It's not the home we live in. It's not the car we drive or the threads we wear. It's the spiritual condition of our household. And if you can't see with the eye of faith, you won't know what to pray, when to pray. You won't hear the voice of God. If the first thing you do when you get up in the morning is turn on your device, Jesus is not your Lord.
the first thing you do is turn on the television, I mean the television, and you got to listen to Al Roker to get the weather report. Just stick your stinking head out the door. You'll figure it out. You won't have to wade through all the garbage and the images they're going to show you before Al tells you what you want to know. I'm telling you the truth today. We need to heed the voice of the God. God, we need to hear the voice of the Spirit of God more than we need anything else. Rick Renner said this. He said, as God's word is losing its once honored place in the mainstream of society, darkness is filling the vacuum. A society that once had a general knowledge of God and his word is progressively moving into a critical state of spiritual ignorance. As a result, defective thinking leading to illogical conclusions with catastrophic results is wreaking havoc in people's lives. The lines between right and wrong are blurred. In fact, they're nearly gone, and the people are losing the ability to know the difference even on the most basic level. Truer words have never been spoken. And he's even referring to Christians, not just the general population. Jesus is coming back soon, folks, and the devil knows it. The devil's been looking for him for 2,000 years. Remember what the demon said? Have you come to torment us before the time? They know there's a time. They know Jesus is coming. They know that their time is short. We need to understand that our time is short, and this is not a time to play spiritual patty cake. This is a time to be on fire for Jesus and live our lives out loud for him on purpose. This is a time to be victorious. This is the time. Where does our strength come from? Him. Him. Not the gym. Him. I'm not against the gym. I'm against focusing on it. I'm not against education. I'm against trusting in it. Come on, somebody. I'm against all those trusting in anything else but him. I need his voice. I need his voice now. Say this with me. I need God. I need God bad. I need God really bad. Point to your neighbor and say, and so do you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.